Hello, One Tribe Church. It's Greg Heasley here from Port Elizabeth down on the southeast coast of South Africa. What a joy to be with you on this Sunday. Um, it's my privilege to be participating in your Acts series. And I know that you've been in Acts chapter 15 looking at the Jerusalem Council. And so I want to just weigh in on some of these thoughts, specifically looking at verses 36 to 41. Now, as you know, the Jerusalem Council was a serious theological dilemma. Uh, an issue had surfaced, which had huge cultural implications for the early church. And so all of the big hitters were called to weigh in on this debate. Uh, Peter was there, Paul was there, Barnabas and James, they're leading the discussion and they conclude wonderfully that there should be no distinction between Jew and Gentile in the church. And uh, specifically in terms of how Gentiles are saved. And they write a letter to the Gentile churches affirming that salvation is by grace alone, uh, in Christ alone, through faith alone. And so they come to this wonderful conclusion and we get a sense that the church has come to unity and the church is on a rise and the church is thriving. And uh, I want to just pick up from verse 30 in Acts chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Acts 15 and we're going to start at verse 30. And we read the following. It says, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, that very important letter of unity between Jew and Gentile. And then verse 31 says, And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And we get a real sense of joy, a sense of unity, and a sense of strengthening happening in the churches. And so just when you think everything is fine and fancy, and the Jews and the Gentile Christians have hugged and they've made up and all of a sudden, we hit another problem. All of a sudden, there is another crisis that unfolds. And in some ways, life is like that, isn't it? Just when you think the problems have subsided, it almost seems to come in waves. And so just when one issue has been resolved, another one comes in its wake. And this time, as we read on, we see it's an in-house issue. It's an in-house problem and it's very personal. This time it's not ethnic or race related. This time it's between Paul and Barnabas. And so let's read on from verse 36 through to 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them from Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Wow. 
You know, I, I remember when we were first studying this book to preach through it as a church, uh, one of the memories that came back to me were uh, times in prayer meetings where I would often hear people pray, Lord, we want to be like the church in Acts, or we want to go back to being a, an Acts church. And it landed on me in such a way as I studied the book that I know what people mean and I know why, why we want to say that because we see some wonderful moments of revival and we see some incredible community. Uh, you're kind of thinking Acts 2.42, how they were devoted to apostles' doctrine and teaching and community. But I think we need to be cautious. Do we really want to be an Acts church, all of it? Do we really want to be a persecuted people? Do we really want to go from one problem to the next problem? Do we really want to have sharp divisions in the church? Do we really want to have uh, members of our church being stoned and killed and persecuted and, and put in jail? And, uh, and so I think we need to be a little more cautious with our language. Uh, there are certainly aspects in the book of Acts where we want to go, yes, Lord, do it again. But uh, there are certainly other parts, uh, and many actually, if you go through it, chapter after chapter, where there are some serious difficulties and serious problems that we definitely don't want to be putting up our hands and saying, Lord, we want to be like this again. Uh, so we, we, we come to this passage and we see a serious disagreement. We see a sharp departure between friends and ministry partners. <clears throat> And church life can be like that. Church life can get rather tricky. We, we see that uh, personal clashes between people in the church. Uh, we see families sometimes bumping heads with other families, uh, children, uh, you know, people trying to discipline other people's children. Uh, things can get a little nasty sometimes in church community. We, we, we don't even need to talk about musicians and bands and, and worship songs and eldership teams. And so church, church life can get messy. And here in this particular passage that we're looking at today, we really do see a potentially messy situation. And, uh, and we realize that there is no one-size-fits-all answer to often the problems that we faced with in life, uh, and in especially in terms of church life. However, there is one hope, one hope that we have through all problems and through all situations, and that is the Lord Jesus. And uh, knowing that he uh, sees more than what we see, and he knows more than what we know, and he's able to turn and change and bring good out of every tricky situation. And that's exactly what we encounter in today's passage. So I want to just talk through the passage uh, under four main headings. We're going to talk a little bit about the context, what's happening in the context. We're going to talk about the conflict that we see unfolding. Then we're going to ask, is this coincidence? And, uh, and then we'll make some conclusions regarding the passage. So firstly, let's look at the context. I mean, it's not as if Paul and Barnabas had nothing to do. I, I think that what we find is that these guys were very busy and there was a lot of ministry and there was a lot of opportunity. In fact, we see from the context that they were busy preaching in Antioch and the word of God was spreading and they were actually having a great time of ministry. And then after a couple of months, Paul says, hey, let's go back and visit the churches that we planted. I mean, that's that sounds wonderful. That sounds like 
what we're meant to be doing. That sounds exactly what, like what Advance does as a movement of churches. This is what we are committed to. So have a look at it here in verse 36. Have a look at verse 36 with me. It says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return. Let's go back and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. So they were busy. They were preaching the gospel and he wants to go back pastorally and visit these churches. What does that sound like? It sounds like they, they're doing apostolic ministry, planting churches and strengthening churches. They weren't just planting and then going, hey, good luck, guys, all the best. No, no, they would plant them and then they would want to cycle back to these churches and actually see how they are doing, strengthening their churches. And so what emerges here is, is, is their passion, their passion and their commitment to ministry is incredible. They weren't just evangelizing. They weren't just planting churches. Paul was passionate about discipling churches. Paul was passionate about bringing churches through to maturity. He wanted to go back, notice the text says, to see how they are. Were they growing? Were they maturing? Were they stable? Or were they in trouble? What, how, how were things on the ground? And were their elders appointed? Were, were they preaching the true gospel? And so Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and see. We must notice here that God uses people to accomplish his work. And we see here that Paul, he, he didn't just love his job, but he actually loved people. He wanted to see how they were doing. He had a relationship with them. Planting and strengthening churches sounds glamorous, but at the end of the day, it's not always easy. And so what emerges is a conflict. Out of this amazing proposal comes a sharp disagreement. So let's look at the conflict, point number two. Have a look again at verse 37. We read, it says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. So Barnabas is like, hey, let's cool. Let's do this. Let's go see how the churches are going. But let's take John Mark. And so that's a good idea. However, Paul in verse 38 says this, um, Luke recording says about Paul, but Paul thought best not to take with them. Why? One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. So on a previous trip, Mark had dropped the ball. Mark had pulled back. He goes on and says, and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, what we have here is interpersonal conflict. What we have here is a conflict between Two gifted leaders of immense potential, uh, enormous usefulness in the kingdom, and they have now locked horns, so to speak. And Luke says in verse 39 that it was a sharp disagreement, which suggests to us that it was very personal, that it was piercing, and it was painful. It, was, it wasn't just a disagreement, it was a sharp disagreement. Tim Keller says this, he says that people are messy and therefore relationships will be messy and we should expect messiness. And that's what we see unfolding here. We see people, people with ideas, people with intentions and desires, but people with different perspectives, locking horns and a sharp disagreement unfolding. 
Now, the plan was simple. The plan was, let's go and visit and strengthen the churches. And Barnabas was adamant. Barnabas was like, we've got to take John Mark. John Mark is fit for the job. John Mark wanted, the text says in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take. In other words, another way you could translate that word wanted there is determined. Barnabas was determined to take John called Mark, which means that it wasn't just a suggestion. It was a strong desire. Now, we don't know the why. Luke, the author, doesn't tell us all of the details. Uh, we don't know some of the behind-the-scenes details of, about the argument, but we know that there is, there is one reason why Paul objects to Barnabas's suggestion. And uh, it's often like that, isn't it? When we find disagreements happening or conflict happening, uh, we don't always have all the information. And so we need to tread carefully and cautiously when we find these types of situations happening. Conflicts often arise when we don't have all the facts and we jump to conclusions or, or make judgments, but we don't have all the details. So that's just a little bit of wisdom. So what was Paul's reason? Well, look at verse 38. It says, Paul thought best not to take with them one, here it is, who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. So on another trip, he had withdrawn and had not gone with them to the work. So John Mark had previously been with Paul and Barnabas on another missionary trip. And when they got to Pamphylia, it seems that he quit. The text, the language, it, it suggests that he quit on the trip. He pulled out and left them. In a sense, he deserted them and he went back to Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe the glamour of a missions trip, maybe the, the idea of you know, traveling with these big hitters, Paul and Barnabas, maybe just got to him and, and he just pulled out. He pulled out when he shouldn't have pulled out. The language here is interesting. It's the language of desertion. It's in a sense, we feel like Paul is saying, why do we want to take a quitter with us? Why do we want to take someone with us who's already proven to be unfaithful? He deserted us at that critical moment. Why should we take him? And so the last thing that Paul wanted was someone like this to be on their team. He had lost confidence. Paul clearly had lost confidence in John Mark. And we know that Paul was a strong leader and he, he, he struggled with apparent weakness because John Mark had left them in the lurch. In the sense, he had maybe put his hand to the plow and now he was looking back. And so we see two contrasting positions. We see Barnabas, the encourager, remember? Barnabas, the encourager, potentially seeking an opportunity to re-engage with John Mark, potentially wanting to ramp him back up onto mission. Uh, you know, in a sense, Barnabas is saying, listen, Paul, he's actually a good kid and, and he deserves a second chance. And Paul says, no, forget it. So who was right? Was Barnabas right? Was Paul right? And what would be the outcome of this conflict? These are two huge figures in the church. Paul and Barnabas, locking horns, sharp disagreement. Who was right? What would be the outcome? Point number three, is this then a coincidence? Well, we know in the 
kingdom of God and under the divine providence of God that there are no such things as coincidence because God is able to use all things. So let's read and look again at verse 39. The text says then that Barnabas took Mark. So Barnabas gets his way. He took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The first thing we see is that the conflict was unresolved. There was no wonderful coming together. There was no putting, putting of their minds and hearts together. There is no resolution. In fact, what we see here is that they couldn't thrash out their problems and sort out their differences. The conclusion is they agree to disagree. And God uses both. Both go on mission trips, but to various and different places. Barnabas takes John Mark to Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas to Syria and Cilicia. See, what happens here is the unfolding of God's divine providence. That even in our worst moments or even in our most disappointing seasons of life, even when we make big mistakes, we who believe in the sovereignty of God over all things see that God is able to use all things for his glory. And I think this is a classic example of God even using a sinful potentially sinful situation for the good of the church. Because the conclusion is that churches are strengthened, potentially more churches than what would have been strengthened. John, Mark and Barnabas go one way and they go and strengthen churches. Paul and Silas go another way and they strengthen churches. So instead of one missionary trip, we now have two missionary trips. And you know what? is even more incredible. When we begin to look at some of the details, we see God's hand behind the conflict. Because if you are going to go and minister, where Paul was going to go and minister, which was in the Roman provinces, it would be really helpful to go to the Roman Empire if you had someone who was a Roman citizen. And guess what? Silas was a Roman citizen. And more than that, if you're going to go and minister in the synagogues, and if you're going to go minister to the Jews, it would be helpful if you're both a Roman citizen and a Jew, and Silas was both. And even more so, Silas was a prophet. And so they're going to go and proclaim the gospel and speak the word of the Lord to the people of God. And Silas was all three of those things. And so Paul ends up with the perfect man for the job, to be with him. And in every way, God was orchestrating these things behind the scenes. Now, we would never know beforehand, but in hindsight, as we see things unfold and as we trust God through the messiness, we see God's hand guiding and providing. The great Oswald Chambers says this about God's overarching providence. He says, God places his saints where they will bring the most glory to him. And we are totally incapable of judging where that may be. 
And this is a classic example of this very thing happening. God orchestrates through a messy situation that the best outcome comes. Churches are strengthened. The right men for the right job go to the right places. And so what's our conclusion? Should we seek out messiness? Absolutely not. Uh, should, we, should we never resolve conflicts? Absolutely not. What, what's the conclusion? Well, let's consider the conclusion. I mean, what about poor John Mark? Did John Mark ever reconcile with Paul? Was there ever a sense in which they, they, they kind of actually sat down and, and, and saw ITI again? And I, I can imagine all of the perfectionists who are listening and watching are, are thinking and feeling very sorry for John Mark. It, it, has Paul really written him off? I mean, if, if you fail once, uh, it, it, does that mean you get no, no, no second chances? And obviously the answer is, is no. And, and in fact, what we find in the, in the biblical uh, testament of, of the New Testament unfolding is some wonderful references from Paul's own letters about John Mark. And it is remarkable. It's encouraging and it's remarkable. So what we find is that the next mention we have of John Mark is in Colossians. At the end of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, he writes in chapter 4, verse 11, which Colossians, by the way, was written around AD 60. And, uh, and this conflict between Paul and Barnabas and John Mark is happening around AD 50. So it's about 10 years. A lot of time has gone about 10 years from the actual dispute. And Paul is in Rome and at the end of his letter to the Colossians, he gives greetings to people, six people specifically. And among the six people is John Mark. And at the end of his greeting, he says this about all six of them, including John Mark. He says this, he says, they are a comfort to me. They are a comfort to me, including John Mark, which means that something significant has taken place. There is a sense in which there has been some restoration. Now, it wouldn't have taken all 10 years to get there, but this was written 10 years later. So we don't know the timeline, but somewhere in between, there has been a coming together of different gifted leaders. And somehow John Mark and Paul sorted this issue out. And so also there's another reference in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11. We actually find that John Mark is present with Paul in prison because Paul says this at the end of 2 Timothy 4. He writes, he says, he about John Mark, he is very useful to me for ministry. Let's just hear that again. He, John Mark, in prison with Paul, he says he is very useful for me in ministry. That's incredible. Someone who we think maybe Paul had written off in terms of ministry and mission, something significant has happened. There has been a restoration, not only of friendship, but a restoration of service and a restoration of usefulness in the kingdom of God. He is useful for ministry. Paul's testimony about John Mark has changed. And then there's one more reference at the end of Philemon, where Paul says uh, to a whole lot of leaders, including John Mark, that they are his fellow workers. And so in conclusion, there was a sharp disagreement. There was very different views on John Mark. Barnabas had his view. Paul had his view. But there is a 
hand of God in the messiness of life. There is the hand of God, the divine providence of God over all of our mistakes, even our sinful ways. And then there's even restoration. Restoration not only to friendship, but also to ministry. And it doesn't always go that way. Sometimes there's there's restoration to, to friendship, but not always restoration to ministry. But in this situation, we see a humility in all parties. We see a humility and a coming together to seek forgiveness and restoration. And so we can conclude, I think we could gladly conclude, that God is able and willing to use no matter what we've done, even our worst moments, even our sinful moments, even our darkest moments, no matter how difficult the situation may be, God is able to use these things for his glory and for the good of the church as long as we are willing to allow him to work in our hearts, as long as we're willing to humble ourselves to, to God's working and dealing in our own lives. And you know what the, one of the most remarkable things at, at the end of all of this is that is that John Mark actually goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. It's incredible how brothers can disagree, agree to disagree, lock horns, sharp disagreement. And when there is the humility and the presence of the Holy Spirit and we are uh, yielded to, to, to the working of God, how God can turn things around and, uh, and bring about ministry that's actually multiplied. More churches are reached. And, uh, and, and it's just indicative of God's sovereign hand over our lives. And so I want to encourage you to not give up, uh, not give up on, on yourself and not give up on those around you. Maybe there have been some sharp disagreements in your life with people in the church. Like I said earlier, church life can get messy. And I want you to choose to humble yourself and to seek forgiveness, to seek restoration. Uh, maybe it's been a very trying and difficult season. Maybe you need to just do some inward reflection and, uh, and, and look to God and trust that God, no matter how difficult it's been, that God can actually bring about some healing and forgiveness and restoration. And my last encouragement to you would be, if that sounds almost impossible or too difficult, I would encourage you to go and talk to a leader, work it through with a leader. If you can't work it through on your own, go and sit with a leader, have a conversation, uh, pray about it and, and seek, 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 seek God's plan. Seek God, God, what are you doing? How do you want to restore? How do you want to bring about greater fruitfulness from what was a disappointing season or situation in my life? I would have the great joy uh, right now to, to pray for you, pray for you as a church, pray for you as individuals. And, um, and so let's close by, by committing ourselves to the Lord and to trusting his great providence over our lives one last time together. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for the a wonderful example of these gifted leaders uh, wanting to go and strengthen and plant churches. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that we're part of a movement that does this, that, that plants churches and strengthens churches. But we also acknowledge that it's not always easy, that, that it gets difficult. And, and there are times and seasons where 
things don't go according to plan. And, and sometimes we're part of that messiness, Lord. And so we, we confess to you, Lord, our shortcomings. We confess to you our own weaknesses. We confess to you that we don't always get it right, that, that sometimes we, we put the wrong foot forward. Sometimes we make the wrong decisions. But we thank you that we serve a God who is able, who's bigger, who's more than able to resolve these conflicts and actually to turn them around um, for our good and, and for the glory and advance of the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for restoration. We pray for healing. Um, we even think of what advances and movement have been going through um, in various places and spaces around the globe. And, and Lord, we just humbly come before you and we pray for our movement and our movement leaders and, and, and our individual churches as we seek to partner together on mission. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd keep us humble. Uh, you would keep us uh, submitted to the work of your Holy Spirit and that, Lord, you would use us um, even in our worst moments, Lord, uh, to advance the gospel. And so we pray that you would do a mighty work in our own hearts and in us as a movement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.